So as we're nearing the end of the Christmas season, I'm hoping you've been able to spend some time with family. Maybe it's been in some different ways than normally, though, but, you know, maybe, you know, maybe not with as many family or maybe it was online or whatever it may be. But hopefully you had some of that quality family time or having it yet. Um, and hopefully you've been able to do some of those those traditions that, you know, are so fun and beloved at, at Christmas that get passed on. That's one of the things that's fun about being um, where I'm at now with, with, with Ruthie being five and, and kind of growing up. As I'm kind of transitioning where now, instead of just like receiving the traditions, now I'm, I'm working on passing them on. And it's, kind of, it's fun. It's kind of this, this ownership now that I get of the, the of family Christmas where it's not just, it was fun to be the kid and to receive it, but now I've kind of, you know, taken hold of it myself and I'm, passing it on and thinking about different ways to do it. Well, as God looks at Christmas and as God wants us to see our Christmas celebration, God wants us to see our celebration of Christmas similar to how we see other family Christmas celebrations or traditions and things, how it's something that it's a gift that he gives us, like how we give it to kids. But then also as you get older, you take ownership of it. You take hold of it and you do, um, you take it and, and you put it into, into play and, and you carry it out. God would have us see our relationship with him and our celebration with him that same sort of way. Christmas is this incredible gift that God has given to us, his children, his child. And this celebration, well, it's a family thing. The lesson we have, it's Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 5. It says, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Now, this lesson, it's part of a letter that Paul wrote to Christians in an area. A lot of times the, the letters you see them written to specific cities. This is an, an area called Galatia, which is an area would be in what we call like modern-day Turkey or Asia Minor. And, and he wrote to these, these churches in this area out of a lot of frustration and concern. So there's some backstory to this letter. So we have to keep in mind that many of these churches, most of these churches are, are made up of people who, some of them come from a Jewish background, so they grew up uh, with those teachings of the Old Testament, with those laws of the Old Testament in mind, but there's also many of them who didn't come from a Jewish background. We would call those people Gentiles. So anybody who's not Jewish, anyone who's part of the nations, so the rest of the world is Gentile. And so there was a lot of confusion about, you know, what do we do then with these Old Testament laws? What do we do with, these, these, with the new people who are incorporated in? And it was very clear early on with the church that, well, Jesus fulfilled those laws, so you don't have to follow them anymore. But there are these movements within the church to really enforce these laws still and to separate people who came from a Jewish background from people who came from a Gentile background. So as we think about this problem, we've got to keep in mind and have it clear in our mind what, what we are talking about when we talk about the law, about what became really the issue here, what was the thing that people were trying to enforce. When you think about the law in the Old Testament, and the word law just means anything established, by the way. So what God established for his people, there's three types of law. And there's a type of law, one of them is called the moral law, and that's the one that we still look to today, and it really shows us how life works best. We still really look at that one and think about that. This is the overall moral law that existed before the nation of Israel. Just God put it into stone, literally, with the Ten Commandments. And it's the command, those are the laws that we still think about today with God's law. But there were some other laws, civil law and ceremonial law, that were specific to the Old Testament nation of Israel. The civil law taught them, showed them how to live as a nation set apart from the other nations. 
how they were to govern themselves and go about their business. And then the ceremonial laws were the worship practices. How was their worship to look as the chosen nation of God through whom the Savior of the world would come? Now the thing is, when you're under the law, if you are finding your life and your hope, if you're trying to find it in the law, there are some problems here. And you can see, and Paul talks in his letters, not just in Galatians, this is actually a big theme in the New Testament, about how the law is problematic if you try to hang on to it. Part of the reason why it's problematic is because it causes this division. The law would set apart people who were from a Jewish background and make them really distinct from people who came from a non-Jewish background, which defeated the whole point of the gospel going out into the whole world to have this unified body of Christ. It actually caused division, it caused hostility, and that's not what the church is to be. The church, it wasn't a matter of calling everybody here to come to us. The church was a matter of going out and being all things to the world and being a body of diverse people from various backgrounds and nations. Keeping the law caused division and really held it back. But there's another reason why it's problematic as well. I actually shared this example back pre-COVID <laughs> early on in 2020, if you can remember back to that time. And uh, so if you were there, maybe this will ring a bit of a bell. I actually set up some mattresses in front of church. I, didn't, I wasn't motivated enough to haul mattresses down here uh, this morning. But um, uh, I use the, use the image. So you know, I run uh, uh, Camp Rise, so this, this week-long church camp each summer. For those of you who don't know, it's for those who completed fourth through ninth grade. And, and so we had this, this week-long camp. And uh, so there's this, this cabin checklist. So the kids have to clean their cabin every day. But let's imagine, so somebody was going to clean their cabin, and they, they did a really good job on their bed. And they said, hey, come in, all right, come in and do the cabin check. And if I came into their cabin and I checked it out, and their bed looked great, but then their bag was open and their, you know, dirty underwear was on the floor or whatever, would they get a perfect score? Well, no, they would get docked, right? But what if they were like, oh, but my bed, it looks so good, it looks so good. Well, it's not just about your bed. You've got to clean everything else, too. And what tends to happen with, with people with the law is that we might have something that we're pretty good at. Like, God, you know, I'm pretty good at going this, or I go to church every Sunday. See, my record here is great. Yeah, okay, but if you're going to be judged by one part of the law, you also have to be judged by the rest of it. And while you might have some spots that look pretty good, there's other spots that don't. And so the law, for all of us, even if it seems like, okay, I can feel pretty good about this part of it, ultimately doesn't help. It ultimately actually condemns. And anytime you choose to start to, to stake some of your, how you feel about yourself, if you try to stake some of your relationship between you and God on the law, you're ultimately going to doom yourself. Because while you might feel good about this part, there's other parts that aren't so good. And so the law, not only does it divide between people, but ultimately when you rest on it, if you try to find your, your, your basis for your hope in it, it will actually ultimately divide you and God. So the law is not such a good thing, and the law is part of the problem. And Paul reminding them that going back to the law is an issue, that's part of what sets up our lesson today. He says, don't go back to that. The law in and of itself was good, but as, as, as sinful people, when we go, when we try to depend on the law, it, becomes, it causes problems. You have been giving something better. You need to recognize, you get to recognize that what you have right now, it, it's more than this law living. What you have now, it's a family thing. 
Okay, so if the law can cause problems for sinful people, though, we, we need to recognize what the law was really meant to do. And, and, and to recognize that there's a concept that, that started long before the law was even uh, given to the nation of Israel. And this concept starts with the fact that God, when he, he, he chose Abraham, and he said, I'm going to turn you into a great nation. He said, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. So in other words, through Abraham's children, or specifically, actually, through a specific child of Abraham, all the nations would be blessed. With this promise, there's this unique thing, and, and it's something, it seems maybe unique to us, but it's actually, it's throughout Scripture, is, is this like multiple, but then also united singular concept at the same time. So in other words, Abraham would have many offspring, but then through one specific offspring, all the offspring would be blessed. So there's like a whole, there's a multiple, there's many offspring, but there's one specific offspring who would be the savior of the world. There'd be many children of Abraham, but there'd be one child who would be the savior. And then through the one child, the many children are united and rescued. So there's a multiple and there's a singular. And it's here initially with Abraham, again, this, this promise of a child, of children, of a family. Well, you get about 400 years later till you get to the time period of the Exodus, so of Abraham's descendants, his offspring, down in the nation of Egypt. And that's when God sends Moses and does all the plagues and brings him through the Red Sea and everything. Well, one of the things that God had Moses say to Pharaoh is, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. You, you, you see a, a, a theme here. So we've got offspring, children of Abraham, a specific child. Now God is saying, Israel is my firstborn son. There's this image here of a, of a child, of a son. And then the law is better understood for us, it's best understood for us when we keep in mind this idea of a relationship of father and son between God and his people. Because when you get to the verses that lead up to our lesson, it talks about a child being underneath a supervisor or a caretaker. And that's how we are to see the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law was like a supervisor. It's kind of like a babysitter, in a way. That was to keep God's people somewhat separate from the nations, to keep them set apart in that way, to remind them that they need a Savior, but then also to prepare them for a Savior to come. The law was like this overseer, this caretaker for that purpose. And they needed that because, and again, if you look at the verses that come before our lesson, by nature, we're all slaves to sin. We all naturally, we do what seems right and feels right to us, and we can't help it. We're slaves to it. And we are slaves to, to doing things our own way and, and making a mess of things. And so, God gave his people the law, not to rescue them, not because the law would set them free, but the law would be a caretaker, an overseer, until the time when God would set them free to really fully experience what it is to be the ch children of God, what it is to be part of the child of God, what it is to be God's family. And that's where our lesson comes in. Because our lesson says that when the time had fully come, so we're, very, we're familiar now with just having celebrated the new year with looking forward to this anticipated time where something transitions, right? You've got the countdown. We did ours at approximately 6.15 New Year's Eve. 
you know, thankful for Paw Patrol YouTube countdown. Um, <laughs> so we could do our pre-bedtime countdown. But anyway, you understand, the whole countdown, there's a transition, and it's exciting, right? So here it is, there's this time that was looked forward to. The time where God's children, where God's child, would no longer be needing a supervisor, would no longer need this overseer because God's child would be set free from sin, would be set free from this slavery to sin, where they would no longer need an overseer, no longer be slaves, would finally be free to really be the children of God. And that time came when God sent his son, born of a woman. God sent his son to make us his son, to set us free as his son. And he sent his son to do it by being born of a woman, which tells us a couple things. First of all, it tells us, it reminds us that he's fully human. And we talk about that quite a bit on Christmas Day, just, just pondering the fact that eternal God can become human is just mind-blowing. But then also, if you keep in mind the biblical story and the biblical promise, the fact that he's born of a woman means that something's being fulfilled here. Because if you go back to Genesis 3, and that's where everything goes a mess. That's when Adam and Eve decide to do what looks good in their own eyes instead of what God said was good. When God was going through and talking about all these, these consequences of sin, he's talking at this point in verse 15 to the serpent. And he says, I will put enmity, so I'm going to put hostility between you and the woman. And between your offspring, so again, here's this multiple thing. So children of, of Eve, descendants of Eve and followers of the devil, so between your offspring and hers, but then here comes a singular. He, a specific one, will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. So there would be this one specific offspring, born of a woman, who would defeat the serpent and crush everything that makes this world broken. By saying born of a woman, that one little phrase packs a lot of punch. Because it means that first promise is fulfilled. And now is the time when the slavery is over and the freedom to really live as a children of God has come. And it's come because he was born under the law, born of a woman to redeem those under the law. So God the Son was born under the law, under these requirements, so that he could finally be the one who does all of it. You know, he'd be the one where if you were to go through the whole checklist and there wouldn't have to be, you know, Jesus didn't leave his underwear on the floor, right? I mean, he didn't, like, make his bed clean and then leave something dirty. Like, he, there, there's nothing missing. There's no, with his whole, all, you look at his whole life, every aspect, he lived exactly what we were meant to live. And so he should have been rewarded handsomely for that, Right? But instead, he laid his life down and died to receive the punishment, the justice our sins deserve, but also his perfect life then could pay the price to free us from slavery, to buy us from slavery. And that's the word redeem. That's, that's what it means. It means to buy. He laid down his life to purchase you and me so we would no longer be slaves, so we could live as children so that we could experience what it means to be the family of God, so that we could receive the full rights of sons. 
or actually, the way it reads, it's a bit different than just the full rights of sons. It, it, it says the adoption of sons. That would be a simple way to translate it. Or most literally, it says to set in place as a son. Which, again, by the way, just notice this whole, like, there's a multiple and there's a singular. We might receive being set in place as a son. That's a singular term. We together, as children of God, might receive what it is to be the child of God, the son of God. You have been made fully and completely a child of God. You think about your family and how you love your family and, and you care for them, and, and God, he looks at you, and you are his family. Full-on family child of God. And we, we need that reminder so often because it, it's really tempting for us to live like we're not. I mean, remember the context for this lesson is that you have people who knew, who had heard the good news that Jesus came to redeem them. They knew that Jesus had died on the cross to make them fully part of the family of God, and yet they were falling for this lie that there was something they needed to do now. There is this practice that served its purpose, and it was fine if they wanted to do it, but they didn't need to do it to be right with God. Jesus had already redeemed them so that they could be God's children, God's child. And yet they were being pulled back into it. Pulled back into living like they were under a supervisor. Living like they were slaves. And it can be really tempting for us to do the same. You know, especially thinking about, so it's, it's we just had the new year, and I don't know if you guys are into resolutions. Um, I, uh, I, I, I kind of like them. I'm not really, like, really big into them, but I think it's, it's, it's good sometimes to have like a marker that like encourages us to, okay, at this point I'm going to, to think a bit about like maybe something I want to try, a new habit or something like that. And so maybe, you know, maybe you decide I'm going to read my Bible every day. I want to do Bible plans. I'm going to do whatever things. And these are great. They're good and can be helpful. But do you ever like set out to do something in your faith and then when you struggle to do it or when you realize that you dropped the habit, then you just beat yourself up over it? Or maybe it's not a new habit, but, but something else with life, like I'm supposed to do this, or I'm supposed to do that. or I have, you, we, we put these requirements of how I'm supposed to live my life as a Christian. Like if I'm, I'm, God wants me to do this thing, and God wants me to do that. He wants me to, to serve here. He wants me to give here. He wants me to whatever. And then when we struggle with those things, we can end up beating ourselves up. When the reality is, just like the law, there's a lot of good stuff in the Old Testament that, that, that the people could keep doing if they wanted to, but God didn't require them. So often the things we beat ourselves up over, we should really stop and ask, did God actually require me to do that in the first place? You know? I mean, how many things do we just beat ourselves up with our faith where God never even said, you know, you have to read that, uh, that Bible plan on the YouVersion Bible app every day. He never said that. And yet, how often do we beat ourselves up for those sort of things? God, does, God never even required it. I mean, and to keep in mind, it's, it, God didn't require those things that we could do if we want to. But you know, God doesn't even look to you to follow the things that he does command perfectly. You know what I mean? Like, we beat ourselves up over the things that God didn't command. And God doesn't even look to us and say, you know what, you have to do all these things I did command perfectly. He looks at us with it all and says, it's not about you and what you do. But we can really quickly fall back into living like we're under the supervisor or under the law. 
Sometimes it shows up in how we beat ourselves up, but other times it can show up in how we kind of self-righteously look at other people. You know, this is one of the things we have to be aware of, too, is, is maybe you are really good at that, uh, um, that, that habit. Maybe your streak, and, and um, my streak in the Bible app is pretty good, just so you know. It is. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm sharing that, realizing as, as the example, you know, I could, you know I could, we could put that in a look. You know, my streaks, and I bet your streak's not very, you know, like, you know, like we can really, these, those streaks are meant to encourage us. But that simple nature can be fed in there too, right? And you'd be like, oh, look how good I'm doing. And man, your streak's two days. Mine's a year and a half. Come on. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, it's, it's, that's a silly example, but there's, there's other things. We're like, man, you know, they, they should volunteer the way I do, or they should give the way I do, or they should do, you know, whatever the way I do. They should share Jesus more like I do. Or like, we can really quickly fall into a comparison where we then pump ourselves up, which is also living underneath the law. Because again, when you start saying, bragging about how good your bed looks, there's a part that doesn't look so good. And so we, we need to be aware. There's, very, there's various ways that we start living like we're under the supervisor and we're slaves. Which is why again and again, we got to hear, we got to be reminded that, man, God doesn't require us to do these things. God doesn't look for us to fulfill the law perfectly. He requires a law to be fulfilled perfectly, but he knows we won't do it which is why he became flesh to do it for us. You are fully redeemed. Everything has been paid. There is not a thing you need to do to make God be happy with you. There is not a thing you need to do to deal with anything you've done wrong. There is no guilt left for you. There is no shame left for you. There is not a question that there is a place for you with your Lord forever. Not a question. The idea of being established as a son, it's, it's as firm as like when you build a building, the idea is, is not that you're just going to take it down right away. You build it so that it stands and that it lasts. You are established as a child of God. Fully and completely. You are part of his family. This is a family thing. You don't have to earn the right to be a child you don't have to earn the right to be loved. You are fully loved and part of the family of God. There is a place with you with God. And you get the fullness of being a child. The fullness of what it is to, 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 to know him. I, you know, it's this, this lesson, it's, it's, it's interesting, that picture of being, being like a child, but then being underneath a supervisor so you don't fully receive the, the, the blessings of being a child. But here it's saying you, you, you get the fullness of it now. You're not under a supervisor. The fullness of receiving from God, what it is to be a child, to be now taking hold of being a child of God. Last week we, we, we talked about what we got for Christmas. I think that was the theme here. Pastor Krause said, what you got for Christmas. In Cottage Girl, we had the, the Christmas treasure quest. You and I, because we are fully children of God, we, we get to ponder Whatever, what, what is it that God the Son has? What was his treasure? How blessed is God the Son to be the Son? Whatever blessing he is, however he is blessed to be the Son of the Father, you are too, as a child of God. 
Last week, one of the things we did in Cottage Grove, and, and I didn't get a chance to, to listen to Pastor Kay's message, so sometimes we emphasize things a bit different, so I'm not sure quite how you guys studied it through here, but one of the things we did in Cottage Grove was ponder, because the lesson talked about he who was rich became poor. We pondered, what did it mean, how, what did, how, what did it mean for God the Son to be rich? You know, because usually we think of riches like having a big house and a lot of money and fancy cars and things. What does it mean to be rich when you don't live in a house? You know, what does it mean to be rich when you don't need food? You know, God, the eternal son, didn't live in a house. He didn't need food. He didn't need a car. He was everywhere. What, how do you define rich when you don't need any of those things? And one of the things I realized is maybe that's part of being rich. Maybe being rich is the absence of needing all these things. I don't know. It's interesting to ponder, what, how, how is God the Son rich? He, he has this eternal relationship with his Father. He has life and life to the full. He has love and security. He belongs. He's, he's part, he he, is, he is, has love with his Father or the Spirit. He, he's the family, the Trinity of God. This, this is what God the Son has. I bring this up because this is what you have. You have that relationship. You're part of the family of God. And Jesus, even when he became flesh, even when he became poor, was still loved by his father. Still knew that his father was with him. And that his father would fulfill his plan for him. And, and I love thinking about that because this is where we can relate more to where, Je- where, where we're at now. You know, because we, we experience being in a broken world and everything. And yet, just like Jesus was loved by his father, was still God the son, you are still God's son, his daughter in the middle of this broken world. Jesus went to the cross as part of God's plan. We might go through things and carry crosses as part of God's plan, but just like Jesus had ahead of him ascension and returning to the Father's right hand and everything, you and I, we have a place with our Lord, our Father ahead of us. We have the fullness of what it is to be a child of God. Maybe one of the things just to meditate on this week is think about the relationship Jesus has with the Father and know that you have it too. Not that you're fully God like Jesus. It's, it's a bit different in that way, but Jesus fills you. You are a child of God because you're in Christ. Christmas, it, it, it's, a, it's a family thing. And it's a family thing, not just for us individually. This, I love this whole, in, in, in the scripture, the, the whole multiple and singular thing is, is that when we see ourselves being children of God, we get to recognize that we are part of the greater child of God. The, the, the family of God. And one of the things in, in the verses that come up before a lesson, it talked about how there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor feel, ma- uh, free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And God's not saying he wipes away, like you, you stop being men and women. And like, the, the point is that there's, there's, we're all unique and different, and yet we're all united. There's no better, there's no division. We're all equally God's children. We're equally God's children in our diversity. You know, we're, we're different, but we're all united. We're all part of Christ. And I was, you know, it was interesting. This last week I was listening to a, a podcast about the family of God. And it was talking about the transition in the Christian church. And I, I just found, and I don't have these stats perfectly in my head, but it was talking about the predictions. Well, even right now, do you know where the largest Christian concentrations in the world are that are growing? It's still somewhat Europe, but in the next few years, it will be Africa. Africa will be the most Christian continent in the world. And East Asia, um, these places are, are growing Christianity in numbers that are crazy. 
And the reason why that's significant is because to make you realize, so when you think of the average Christian, what they will look like in a decade, they will not look a lot like us. And I find that really liberating. You know, that God doesn't need, you know, we can get, we can get to feeling like, oh, God, I, God needs us here to, to be the center of all this and to be doing all this. No, we get to be part of this whole bigger thing of what he's doing. All these things that I feel like I got to do for God, God doesn't need me to do them. He doesn't need it to look like this. We are invited to be part of it, to be part of something bigger. Not because God requires me to do all these different things, but because God has redeemed me and made me his child, part of his family. And when I really embrace the family picture of God, that's when God comes out of his box. In my mind, God's never been in a box, but I can begin to embrace the bigness and the beauty of God. I can embrace what it's like to live not always feeling like I'm letting God down because I never let God down. He redeemed me. It's not about him requiring things of me, but of what he has done for me. It's then I can really begin to, to live in the, the power and the beauty of being a child, fully loved and given the opportunity now to be a part of something bigger. This is how God wants us to see Christmas. It's not just a, a holiday we celebrate. It's not just... You know, Jesus died so we could be forgiven, but now we just go about living still under these burdens and things. No, we are free to be children, free to be part of his greater child. God looks at Christmas and he says this, it's a family thing.